This week, we take a look back at innovation in 2022. And we look ahead to what might happen in 2023. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Faiza Ramji, and this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. Happy New Year, Faiza. Same to you, Karen. And Happy New Year to you, uh, Mac Mail, my partner at Taproot, who is joining us for this very special episode of Bloom. Always a pleasure to join the both of you. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I have been looking forward to this conversation and uh, pleasure to be back on Bloom. Awesome. It is customary this time of year to reflect on the previous year and plan for the next one. Uh, I, I get, I think that's customary in, in real life business terms. Is that, is this your practice, Faiza? Uh, not really, actually. I'm not one for, <laughs> uh, I'm not one for resolutions or any of, you know, that, that kind of thing, but it is January is also when my birthday is. So naturally uh-huh. I do set some new habits into practice or try to, you know, uh, think a little bit about the year that's coming up, but I'm generally not as much of a reflector as I probably should be. I will uh, put in the show notes a link to my friend, Ashley Jansen, who I have uh, um, name checked on here before. She has like a blog post on how to usefully reflect. Um, Mac, I I think that I know the answer, but you tell me, do you? Uh, Is this part (laughs) of your practice too? Well, I will say I really liked Ashley's post actually with the the bow and arrow metaphor that she has in there too. So it's a really great one to check out. Um, you know, I don't make resolutions per se. Like I don't sit down and say this year I resolve to do whatever it is. I find that I tend to retroactively make them, you know, I'll like look back or I'll spend some time reflecting on the year and be like, huh, I spent a lot of time this year thinking about whatever topic it is. And I guess that was my resolution for the year. Um, you know, my birthday is also uh, around this time. It's just a few days after Christmas. So that with the new year usually means that I spend a bit of time, you know, reflecting and I do some resolution type things. You know, I set my reading challenge in Goodreads for a year for how many books I'm going to read in the year ahead, that kind of stuff. But I think what I probably should be better at this time of year is prioritizing all of the things that I think about mm. wanting to do in the year ahead. And I haven't... Uh, I haven't spent enough time on that, I suppose. I am a sucker for a good end of year list. I just, I know they're often (laughs) just space filling things, but I enjoy them. All right. Well, we are going to uh, take that as as our our guide for this episode and kind of look back at some things that have happened in the first half and then uh, in the second half, we'll we'll look ahead and maybe do a little bit of crystal ball gazing. so one of the things that I noted is that uh, we did have quite a few or a few Edmonton companies that announced investment this year. The big ones that I noticed were Aurora, Aurora Hydrogen and Wyvern. They each raised about $13 million. Drug Bank brought in $9 million and Copperstone Technologies, the most recent one, I think, is almost $8 million Canadian. Um, Truffle Systems, Pulse Medica, Honest Store, Painworth got like around two million. Arito Labs raised a million, and then we had some smaller investments come through through startup TNT or other places like that. So there has been some activity here, but not on the scale that we see in Calgary or the bigger cities in Canada. So Mac, what are your thoughts on the fund, the year in fundraising in Edmonton? 
I think we have this really interesting dichotomy, right? In the work that we do, we get to see and pay attention to all of these different success stories and raises. And there's been a lot of them over the year. And so on the one hand, it feels like Edmonton had a pretty good year in terms of fundraising, companies getting to the next stage, and you know, ideas becoming companies and then startups becoming scale-ups, that kind of stuff. On the other hand, you know, as you say, we're constantly behind Calgary and, and other cities. And so maybe if we compare ourselves to our past selves, we had a pretty good year in 2022. And maybe compared to other places, it was just okay. I mean, we don't have anything even approaching the realm of a neo-financial, you know, which mm-hmm. raised almost $200 million down in Calgary. Like there's a, it's like a whole other scale going on in in a place that's not very far away from us, right? So it's hard to look at what's happening there and what's happening in other places and not feel a little bit like Edmonton is behind. But at the same time, I don't want to take away from, you know, the important successes that we did have in 2022. I think Wyvern and Copperstone and some of those are really exciting. Drug Bank has been at this for quite a long time. Like they're really exciting raises and those companies are going to grow and, and be successful and solve real problems. So, you know, that's a good thing, but certainly compared to others, we're, we're a bit behind. What do you think, Faisa? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think, um, you know, to me, how much we raise is kind of an indication of two things. One is that folks are looking at investing in companies as a part of their portfolio strategy, as opposed to just uh, maybe investing in real estate or something that they might have done in the past. But the other thing is that it's an indicator of how many companies we have that are setting a certain level of ambition. Um, and so I think what's amazing is that we do see a lot of these companies that are putting themselves into many different arenas for funding, but we're maybe not seeing enough companies pitching. Um, And I think that's something to be more concerned about because we know not every company that pitches is going to get funded and that's okay. But in the past, it feels like we've been really focused on just having a company start something and take their idea and put it into a, a business format. But now we need to see how many we can push through into that, I guess, scale up trajectory and we're going to need a ton more of those if we want to start getting to some of the scale of, of fundraising that we see in other cities. Yeah. This is something that local investors talk about a lot, right? That there aren't as many investable companies in Edmonton. Yeah. You know, they're not ready for investment. They're not at that stage. So maybe, yeah, as you say, we've improved our pipeline, top of funnel stuff, but there's work to be done, uh, you know, moving people through that funnel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting too, because like we have a lot of focus on creating pitches. Like you'll see a lot of these programs that say, oh, here, learn how to pitch, learn how to pitch. But I also think as a founder, I don't know if you you and both of you feel the same way, but it's like, well, what happens once you accept the money, right? Like there's no, there's a lot of fear around that and a little bit of a a dark curtain. And I want to know what's behind the curtain a little bit more. Like I've taken a few courses on how to fundraise, you know, what the different terms of finance are, but then what happens once you've raised the money and, and what, you know, what does that lead to good and bad? So it'd be kind of interesting to see a little bit more of that type of programming. Well, and I didn't know that there's members of the investment community that want to do more education around that, not just how do you make your pitch deck, but like, what is this even, how does this work? And so there might be some of that coming in 2023. Uh, we also saw this year uh, quite a bit of government investment. That's the word they use. I don't know if that's the right word because it's not like you pay them back in anything but taxes and uh, goodwill. But um, we have spoken quite a bit on Bloom about the accelerators that came on stream this year. We've also seen public money go into hydrogen and carbon capture. 
and some direct investments into like actual companies. Prairie Scan put $17 million into 11 companies in Edmonton, as well as three service providers in May. And Mac, I see that uh, Edmonton City Council approved the $5 million edge fund in the four-year budget. So let's start with you, Mac. Thoughts on government support for innovation? I think government should be the first customer rather Mm. than the investor. And I don't think we've seen enough of that in the past year. And I'm sort of cautiously optimistic about things like capital city pilots in the new year that it could start to lead us down that path a little bit. Having said that, you know, the accelerators, I think, has been a huge success for Edmonton and Alberta. Uh, You know, it kind of feels like there's lots of companies out there that we didn't know about until these accelerators came or came along, right? It really sort of um, shined a light on on all of the innovators and entrepreneurs who are doing really interesting things. So, you know, government making those kinds of programs available and what Alberta Innovates and its partners did to make that happen, I think, is going to pay big dividends for for Edmonton and and for the province. Um, you know, we'll see probably, I imagine, in the future more funding announcements directly related to things like you mentioned, carbon capture or hydrogen specifically. And I think it's because government often finds it really hard to know what to do with a tech company, like a software company, a SaaS company, whereas something tangible like, uh, you know, we're dealing with hydrocarbons or whatever is, is a little bit more easy to wrap your head around. So, you know, um, this year, I think the the kind of investment we saw probably wasn't so out of line with previous years in terms of what came to Edmonton. Um, I think there's hope for things like Edge Fund to have an impact, although as uh, as our, our story uh, illustrated with Arden Che, that there's some questions about that and the proof will really be in the execution of those things. What do you think, Faisa? Yeah, I mean, I was I was lukewarm on these accelerators to begin with, but I've obviously changed my mind. And uh, this podcast is a big reason why, because I actually spend more time looking at what those accelerators are doing. I think my challenge with government support is, you know, what is like, it feels like there's a lot of duplication or a lot of, um, you know, a lot of logo soup on the, on the press releases, so to speak. So, so so-and-so is putting money into so-and-so, which is then putting money into so-and-so, which then results in X. And it's like, how do we start like clearing those waters a little bit? Um, I think government definitely has a role to play in innovation. I read this great book uh, called The Entrepreneurial State by Mariana Matsukado. And she talks a lot about how sometimes government is um, the only part of the ecosystem that can make some of these really big bets in innovation. And it can spur a lot of activity in the private sector. And that's great. But I think that then we're going to have to maybe think about how do we use money more wisely and how do we maybe focus a little bit better? Like Arden Che says, is how do we focus so that we can actually do a little bit more with what we've got rather than trying to just put a little bit here and a little bit there? Uh, I don't think that's really necessarily going to make the impact that that folks are hoping it'll have. But I mean, you know, government in, government support is important. That's one of the advantages we have of of living here is uh, navigating that is obviously another story. But uh, But the fact that we have it is I think it's good. All these things are at very different scales too. And so like the thing with hydrogen and carbon capture is it's, first of all, only half invented. Like we still have to figure out the technology here. So there's some upfront costs that have to be put into like the research and development and then testing it out and and, uh, figuring it out. And it's like, it's big, it's a big swing. Um, Whereas a SaaS, it's like the whole point of software as a service is that the 
barrier to entry is low, right? So it's kind of like the, the we put all these things in one bucket, but they're kind of different. I mean, it's it's a big swing, but it's also in some ways less risky, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're going to put money into carbon capture and storage. There's an expectation almost that it's going to work out for, you know, part of our energy sector. Whereas you put money into a medical startup or, you know, something in life sciences, it's a little bit more of a gamble, like whether or not that's going to result in the promise that the the founders or the the people who envision it will, right? So I think that's another reason why, like it's, it's riskier to invest in some of these things that have less um, clear outcomes, less clear payoff down the line. Well, I think I also, when I think about government support too, I always think about you know, where can you get the biggest bang for your buck? And when I look at things like a $5 million uh, edge fund, what else could we use that $5 million for in support of innovation, right? So let's say we're not looking at it in terms of how else we could use it in the city, but strictly for innovation, you know, could that money be put to use to helping bring uh, more attention to investable companies in Edmonton when it comes to bringing in outside capital? Could that be used on, you know, creating more of like, media buzz around the companies in Edmonton. What what else could we do with it? Because I think that's the other thing is that government does have the ability to be a bit more, they can focus less on generating a direct return on their investment in terms of just dollars back, but but in terms of economic impact or impact to an industry, they can be a little bit more flexible in their thinking. So I also think we're, we're generally a bit narrow with what we put our government dollars towards. And I'd love to see a little bit more flexible thinking there. I don't think this is what you were arguing for, but uh, it just made me think when you were speaking there, I would suspect that most entrepreneurs in Edmonton would be unhappy if we spent $5 million on trying to generate buzz for companies rather Mm. than have the opportunity for that money to go directly into entrepreneurs, right? And uh, one of the criticisms I think of Edmonton's innovation ecosystem is that we've built over the years this this middle layer of all of the service providers that, you know, take some of this government money and not all of it filters back down into um, the entrepreneurs and into the startups. And it's like what, you know, Calgary's fund is a hundred million dollars. They can invest $5 million in one company and have a real impact. They can take a big swing. We can't do that with the kind of level of investment that we've got in Edmonton. So I think that's a challenge. Yeah, it is a big challenge. But I think when you look at that 5 million, right? compared to the 100 million how many ways can you split 5 million so you're right i'm not suggesting that we're just using it on something that isn't going to have a direct impact on the companies but what are the different ways that we could make a direct impact on companies as opposed to just um you know putting in a, a little bit of money here and a little bit of money there and also having a really large administrative cost there has to be more options on what we could do with that the other thing about government investment that I noticed this year is because we are so much more interested in supply chains than ever before, I think that has become a bit more of an, uh, a thing for, for there to be government money going into specifically on, on life sciences. Like we're, we're realizing we have to be able to manufacture more of our own drugs. Um, components, things like even zero point cryogenics, making their own dilution refrigerators here, even though surely the labor costs and everything else must be less elsewhere. But it's it's a security thing. And it's a we want to maybe sacrifice a little bit of efficiency so that we don't have to be beholden to whether that container is going to get here. 
Another thing that I wanted to surface was just like the physical spaces in which innovation is nurtured in Edmonton, because uh, we saw quite a bit of movement on that. Edmonton Unlimited announced plans for a new headquarters on Jasper Avenue. It exited from the Mercer Building. Work nicer is there now. Uh, we also heard some discontent arising from some people around the plan to sell a couple of the buildings at the Edmonton Research Park, and that that asset came up as an important one in a report that was on uh, the, the commission to fo on fostering regional innovation. Um, and then other entities are kind of trying to be a center of some of those collisions that we talk about in innovation. Amy revived demo camp seems to be interested in hosting more community events. Drivewise unveiled their big um, space and, they want to bring people there as well. I think they hosted Startup TNT, um, it's investment summit, one of them. Uh, and, and Startup TNT itself has a shared space now for investors on 104th Street. So, Mac, where does, can, and should innovation live? Well, all the things you just listed, I think, illustrate that it's not one building. It's never been about one building or one location or one street even. Uh, there are innovators located all around the city and there's some advantages to being face to face, but I think, you know, we're also coming to, to terms as everybody is with the post pandemic reality that we're just not going to be face to face as often as we once were. And, um, I think we'll see a little bit more of an interest in getting back into events and into, you know, meet space as they say, and, and uh, connecting with one another face to face, but it's not really ever been about a building. And so I think this idea of collisions probably needs to go away. Like we mm -hmm. need to stop talking so much about the importance of collisions. If, uh, if we're going to, you know, move beyond the ideas of the past away from the single hub idea and into the reality, which is that there's people all over the city and we need more than one space. We need many spaces. We we're going to, we want to kind of inf infuse a lot of the places that we have with uh, opportunity for innovation, I think. What do you think, Faisa? Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, it, it's like we went from one extreme to another where we weren't able to go and see anybody. And then all of a sudden we were do, like overloaded with events and things like that. What I like to see is that companies are taking it upon themselves to create a little bit of, foster a little bit of community through their events and things. Like, I think it's really cool that DriveWise is thinking about how they can host other people in their space. Startup TNT wants a shared space. Like, I think that's really important because we, again, we can't rely on one organization to be doing that because like you say, Mac, it, it's not about one building. And I think the more people are embracing this ability to work hybridly, which I know today uh, I, I appreciate a lot. One of the things that's missing for me is the ability to learn. And so when I think about our talent, um, I like the idea that there's smaller but more places for people to go and be around people that they want to work with or work for or learn from. Um, you know, thinking about what I do with field notes, it's really important for me to start interacting with more distillers to learn, not just because I need a, a collision of some sort and be around other people doing the same things. It's more from a learning. So I think for a, for a talent, from a talent perspective and uh, fostering some of those learning opportunities, it's really cool. But then that really means that we need to think about more spaces in a smaller form. Uh, and I would love to see how that starts to go just also beyond the downtown and into some of the other, you know, little parts of the city where there's really interesting people. 
Is there anything else that strikes you about the innovation scene in Edmonton in 2022, Mac? Well, we've already talked about it a little bit, but for me, this really was the year of the accelerators in, in Edmonton and in Alberta. You know, as I mentioned, like being able to see that there's so many entrepreneurs out there who are, as, as Faiza said, taking that first initial step from idea to trying to do something with it. Like we write about the cohorts for Propel and Catalyzer and all of them. And, you know, there's a handful of companies that I've heard of in there, but there's lots and lots of new ones. And so I think that's kind of encouraging. Um, maybe they're not investable. And they've got a long way to go still. But even just to know that that top of funnel is uh, is rich is is an encouraging sign from 2022 that I don't think we felt in the same way in previous years. Yeah, I think it's more about like, you know, when, you're, when you look at um, companies in software, especially, I would say people often say, should we buy or build? Um, and sometimes it's cheaper to buy something that's already made and plug it in than to build it yourself. And so when it comes to the accelerators, I think what I really liked seeing is that we brought in accelerators from other places. You know, Mm -hmm. that's one of the ways that we can build buzz around Edmonton without just doing a big campaign, right? Like to be able to get into like the plug and play network, for example, which we know helps can, you know, works backwards and finds interesting uh, customers and then plug startups into that or 500 which is truly a global network, um, or even Growth X, which is really about like revenue and generating revenue, which is, a lot of people have that problem. They have a great product. They just don't know how to, how to sell it. I think there's, there's something to be said for looking at something that people are already doing really well and exists and connects you to other folks around the world doing something similar or complementary. Um, and so I'm glad we weren't afraid to do that. And we didn't just think we needed to start our own of everything, because uh, I think that can be a bit of a downfall. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be homegrown. I think that's a great point. And like you say, a lot of those accelerators attracted like companies to to participate from elsewhere, which also is great for cross pollination and connections. And and it's like it's a it's a big world. So we can't just be stuck here. All right. Well, let's take a break and hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll discuss what we'll be watching for in twenty twenty three. Bloom is brought to you by Edmonton Unlimited. Here's a message from our sponsor. Mac Mail here, publisher of Taproot Edmonton. And over the next few episodes, I'm pretty excited to share with all of you a little bit more about Capital City Pilots, which is a project that Edmonton Unlimited announced last year that we've written about in the past and uh, is, is gearing up to do some really interesting things. And so we wanted to learn a little bit more about it. And to help us do that, we have Abby Stein-McLean, who is the head of Capital City Pilots. Welcome to Bloom. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start right at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about what Capital City Pilots is. Capital City Pilots, uh, the program was conceived to provide a mechanism to connect innovators to the city of Edmonton to address challenges experienced by the city and its citizens. The innovation challenge phase coming up in 2023 will see the city issue calls for innovation around challenges they have identified. Innovators can then submit proposals, which will be evaluated, and the successful applicants will have the opportunity to pilot their innovations on city-owned assets and by city employees to provide feedback and experience for those innovators. And then the innovator support phase um, will see the Edmonton Unlimited team provide specific programming for innovators to reach their next milestones. So the program is really meant to connect the city with the innovation and support those innovators on their journey to uh, successful business. What are some of the things that the city might 
look to local innovators to do? Like what, uh, you know, they're not going to be, I presume, solving some of the big challenges the city faces, but I'm sure there's an organization like that, tons of opportunity for innovation. Absolutely. So we firmly believe that innovation can be applied everywhere and that there are challenges experienced in all aspects of the city administration, um, you know, top to bottom, side to side. So we can expect challenges in sort of any realm and space from social services to transit to administration, potentially to uh, other places that are ripe for technology. And anything that you can think of uh, that is a city asset is also eligible for participation in this program. So that's infrastructure information, parks, there's all sorts of, I mean, the city, you have to think about the city as an organism and organization is huge and broad. So we expect to see challenges coming from all corners. Well, the city obviously benefits here because they'll get some local expertise, some local creativity to to potentially help them with a particular challenge. What's in it for the people who might participate in Capital City Pilots? So for innovators, uh, accessing a client the size of the city can be really daunting as you're starting out. The benefits there are you have access to the city, uh, to the city-owned assets for testing to validate your innovation in the municipal context and get direct feedback from the city. This experience is super valuable for a couple of reasons, um, making meaningful relationships with the city employees and working within an organization of the city of Edmonton's size. Validation is and data is so important for innovators starting their journey uh, on their on their quest to reaching product market fit. And so the leap to a, a client the size of the city of Edmonton is off, often pretty great uh, and, and hard to get in early stage. So this is a wonderful way to introduce that type of client to a business to help them grow, to you know stretch them, push them um, to reach the next business milestone. Tell us about who the program is for then. Who are these innovators, these entrepreneurs that might be a part of Capital City Pilots? Yeah, it's really open to uh, the Edmonton Innovation community and beyond. So uh, we've received funding from Prairies Can. So uh, we're not exclusive to Edmonton, but the innovation community at large. We think that innovation exists, of course, all over the world. But Western Canada, we want to support them and that there's benefit to the city of Edmonton by uh, uh, extending the reach, let's say, of the innovations beyond our municipal borders. Uh, It's open to entrepreneurs of all stages, startups, scale-ups. But really, we're kind of targeting the validation, you know, pre-revenue, early stage revenue businesses um, that are trying to get their idea from sort of conception to reality that would really benefit from the, the data provided from a validation pilot. I just want to highlight also that, like, we're open to it's a very big tent inclusive innovation. Um, so we're looking for not just specifically tech, but also, you know, social innovation, interesting ideas, et cetera. The challenges that we see from the city will definitely necessitate some original thinking. Yeah, I think we're really excited to see kind of the breadth of innovations that that spring up. Sounds like a a great opportunity for local innovators and entrepreneurs who have an idea, have something they want to, you know, find that first uh, customer, get that validation and and go from there. Thanks for uh, that introduction. Okay, well, it is now crystal ball time. So looking ahead to 2023, I want to uh, quiz you guys. Let's start with what are you expecting to see on the investment front, Faiza? As I've admitted to many, I'm a bit of a political dummy. So I'm not very good at predicting what I think is going to happen. But I do know we're going into an election year. My sisters will be very proud that I actually know that. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I do vote, you know, let's, let's just get it. You know, get that on record. I do vote, but uh, I'm often late to the party on learning about what's going on. So I know that there's an election coming up, and uh, probably my favorite quote of 2022 was 
show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. Mm-hmm. And so, which is by Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's uh, business partner. So I think government investment is going to follow a lot of what needs to be, you know, communicated prior to an, uh, an election. I think there's not going to be anything super risky. Um, I do hope that there's a little bit more broadening of industries that we focus on. Um, you know me, I love getting on my soapbox and talking about agriculture. And I hope there is something in that on the food side. But, you know, I really don't know. I, 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 I bet you Mac will have a good answer. Well, you made a compelling case a couple of episodes ago for more investment in ag and and ag tech. So maybe that's something we'll see in 2023. I think reading and hearing from lots of investors, there's a bit of an expectation that there will be a contraction in 2023, like maybe less money, certainly from a venture capital point of view than in 2022, driven partly by, you know, macroeconomic uncertainty, maybe the investors themselves feeling a little bit of that inflationary pressure that's affecting everybody. But actually, I don't know that it matters so much for entrepreneurs. You know, at the end of the day, there's quite a bit of money out there. And I'm not saying that it's easy to tap into, but the fact remains, lots of funds and investors have capital they would like to deploy. And as an entrepreneur, if you focus on solving a real problem that has actual customers, you know, it becomes a heck of a lot easier to tap into that funding, whether it's a boom year or not. So from a startup point of view, I think that's the mentality that people need to take into it. Um, Investors are going to, you know, maybe be a little bit more cautious in 2023, but that can be a good thing sometimes too, right? Because it means that the investments that they make, the bets they're willing to make, maybe have a greater chance of success. We often hear that uh, it's the downturns where we see some of the most interesting uh, innovations come about and some of the most successful businesses are born in those downturns, right? So I'm not going to use the R word and I'm not saying that's where we're headed, but you know, <laughs> other folks out there are talking about these things for, for the year ahead. Talk a little bit more about that, um, Visa, around people having realistic valuations and also having real customers and not just a notion when they're going for investment. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think uh, having chatted with a lot of folks that are um, either going after or part of the U.S. Uh, investment scene, what's interesting is like, I feel like for once being Canadian is really going to be um, a bonus for us and is going to work to our advantage because we we are so humble and we want to wait until we have traction on something or we have real value. And then we go after an investment and we don't often ask for enough. And I think mm-hmm. that investors are actually going to really appreciate that at this time. And I think the fact that people are going to be forced to be a bit more narrowly focused on what they're doing as a startup and what they're asking for and where that's going to go, I think that's going to work to our advantage. And so investors that are looking for something that, you know, it's always going to be a bet, but the more it can feel like a calculated bet, the better. And so I think that means that as a startup, you're just going to have to show a little bit more, a little bit more effort on your part of where that money's going, what you're doing with it and what your track record is. And so I think from a global standpoint, Canadians could be at a bit of an advantage. I'm going to call an audible here. This isn't on your script, but I just want to talk a little bit about uh, crypto because I think that was a thing that uh, that rose in 2022 and crashed in 2022. We have some companies here that are involved in that. I have no insider information. We haven't even done any reporting on them. But what do you think the effect of uh, of the of 
kind of where Web3 is as far as uh, um, the world goes will have on um, on the Edmonton companies that might be in, involved in that area? I'll start with you, Mac. I think, you know, FTX and some of the things that have happened uh, in crypto and in Web3 this year will kind of be forgotten. <laughs> and and the big impact, the effect of that, it'll just be that it'll weed out a lot of the noise and a lot of the speculation and a lot of the, you know, real questionable folks that were attracted to this uh, tulip market, right? So yeah. um, I, I hope that that's what happens for the Edmonton companies that are, you know, working in this space, that they, you know, get to focus in on, you know, what problem it is they're solving and what value they're bringing to the table. Because I don't think there's any question that technology, blockchain, is here to stay and is going to have a, an impact and will continue to have an impact. Um, you know, and companies like TrustBix, TrustBix, right? They're working with blockchain and traceability. And, th- you know, that's not going to be affected by a bunch of rich people losing their money in, in FTX, right? So um, if, if we get to the point where people start to move beyond that, um, oh, I can make a quick buck and and get into like, what is the actual impact of this technology? How can it be applied to solve real problems? That could be a great thing for those Edmonton companies. Every new industry has its ebb and flow. Um, and the harder you rise, the harder you fall. But then what's left after that is the people that have something that's really valuable. And, you know, I, I think about NFTs, like for a while, I was obsessed with figuring out what these things are, I just could not wrap my head around it. And I and I bought a few and it seemed to me like it was just another opportunity for people who already have access and money to have more access and more money. And I was like, this is weird. But I I did really understand the value of the technology underneath it, like Mac was saying. And so I think what's cool about it now is that it's going to force Web3 and blockchain and NFTs and anything else that's built on this uh, this notion to to just move past that speculative experimental stage and now being able to really understand like, here are some of the risks, here are some of the challenges, but also here we validated a lot of the opportunities. And so I think it's going to keep moving. I think, you know, I, I hope that any Edmonton company that's been involved in in this industry is, is, you know, hasn't taken too big of a hit, but I do think that the folks that see the long-term potential in it are still going to be on, on course. I think it's just going to be, we're just going through the normal growing pains of any industry, like when we invented this weird thing called the internet um, yeah. and email and text messaging and all these these things. So I, I'm pretty hopeful about what it means for lots of different sectors. The other uh, thing that kind of entered the the wider consciousness is the power of AI um, when everybody could start playing around with chat GPT and DALI and all of these things. Do you think now that more people have had a taste of what part of that technology can both unlock and unleash, I guess, that that bodes well for the companies like AltaML and others that are involved in in AI, Mac? I mean, there's no question that artificial intelligence is going to be a huge, huge story in 2023 and beyond. And as you say, it's becoming a little bit more accessible to people. I think Many of us are playing catch up in terms of like the understanding the impact of this kind of stuff, but it's really hard to look at Edmonton and not feel like we're too late. Like mm-hmm. we were, we were leaders around the world in terms of research, and we're just nowhere on the map in terms of commercialization. Right? I think it's an opportunity for Edmonton to really double down, as you know, Pfizer was saying, and others have said about focusing. Like artificial intelligence could have been the thing that we focused on. 
but we haven't so far. And and now it feels like maybe that, you know, that opportunity has passed us because every jurisdiction all around the world is interested in what they can do around artificial intelligence. And other places like China and the US are spending way more money on this um, than we are. So I think AltML and Amy and others are going to be incredibly successful in the years ahead um, because of the experience and the um, you know the customer base that they've built and and all of the talent that they've been able to attract and develop. There's no question that AI is going to be foundational to so many different things, and so they're really well positioned to take advantage of that growth. But it's hard not to think what could have been <laughs> if yeah. we had focused on it. What would that manifest as? Like there would be. 10 Alta MLs here? Yeah, or, you know, we when we were talking about the investment uh, part of our conversation earlier, we've had some big investments in AI companies. Like, there's no reason that Stable Diffusion or some of these things couldn't have come from Edmonton. We had, we have world-leading researchers, people who are really pushing the boundaries of this stuff. Um, we do have lots of talent in this location and across the province. Like it seems like we could have maybe put those things together a little bit more intentionally and had some some greater results on the commercialization side of things. I mean hindsight's always 2020 and and we didn't know that we would end up with the um the world class research that we did when the provincial government first made some investments in that area. Um but it felt like maybe we did that and then didn't follow through on what would the next logical thing be to do here. Yeah, and I think that's always the problem, isn't it? Is like you know, we've got great research, we've got um, a lot of talent, but then we've got this, it's like we have a habit of treating these things like just one thing instead of showing people what's possible. I think what Alta ML has done is shown industries what's possible with AI. So why do we care about this enabling platform? Whereas other folks, like maybe some of the government funding and things have treated AI like one thing rather than saying, you know, and they kind of take this like either or. We're either going to focus on AI or we're going to focus on energy. We're going to focus on AI or we're going to focus on egg. But really it's, it's about AI and right. Like AI can be applied to literally any industry. That's, it's an enabling platform. Just like, you know, when you think about blockchain versus an NFT, people are always like, Oh, these are just like images that we're collecting online. Yeah. That's what maybe an NFT is, but the blockchain technology underneath it could have impact on lots of different industries. And so I think we just need to, there needs to be a bit more of a, uh, there's a big gap that we need to fill around companies being willing to experiment on like what's possible and imagining a possibility. I know we joked about this on one of the episodes of Bloom and I, and I, you know, I still think it's a viable thing, which is like having like a CEO camp of some sort where people can imagine what's possible for their industry using some of these technologies that are kind of hard to wrap your head around. Right. And, um, and I think that's kind of what we need to do. And then, you know, similar to like the the plug and play methodology, it's like, how do we go out and find companies like, you know, big um, heritage companies, legacy companies that need to reimagine the way they're doing things? And then how can we connect those with talent in our in our city? But that's just one idea. But I just think that we need a bit more of we need to close the gap between public sector and um, and even like the, the, the education with the commercialization. Hmm. Yeah, one of the more optimistic things I'll say about artificial intelligence, I suppose, is kind of picking up on, on what you were getting at there, Faiza, which is this is a, a technology um, that will impact everything and and has the 
the potential to be involved everywhere. So I remember at Accelerate AB in Edmonton several years ago, uh, it really stuck with me. One of the people, I think who's from Google, basically said that AI is, think of it more like the relational database. Literally every company has a relational database underpinning, probably several, underpinning their operations. And AI could be used similarly. And so from that point of view, you know, maybe it's okay that we didn't commercialize all of that incredible research that we did, um, because now it's becoming more accessible. And there are smart people here working on, you know, problems that AI can have a real impact on. And so if we're able to take advantage, if those innovators are able to take advantage of, you know, some of the developments that have come from elsewhere and apply them to solving problems here, that could still be a really positive thing for Edmonton and for, for Alberta. Well, that might be a thing that we can uh, address at Upper Bound in May. That is what AI's or Amy's AI Week is going to be called. We've got some other things to look forward to in 2023. Um, the Alberta Esports e- e- Expo is coming in February. Well, Startup TNT will have its three sector summits in clean tech, ag tech, and life sciences in March. And There'll be a hydrogen summit in February and the Canadian Hydrogen Convention in April. What else are you anticipating in 2023? You know, for me, I think it's just more of these explorations around industry niches. I think we're going to see things that start to narrow down a little bit more. um, And that's what I'm excited about. I know, you know, even with uh, Explore Edmonton taking over Farm Fair, I know one of the things that they're talking about is how do we actually turn that into more of a, a forward looking, broader agricultural experience, which of course to me is very exciting. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're just going to have a little bit more of, we're going to double down on some of the stuff that we saw happen in 20, 2022, which is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I'm terrible at predicting the future like most people are, so who knows, but it seems to me that, uh, that a couple of things that are going to be a key part of 2023, a defining part of 2023 will be this continued interest in getting back to events and face-to-face with people and reconnecting with folks. Um, you know, there's a lot you can do with the technology that we have today, but it doesn't, it doesn't do everything. And I think there's a desire, a hunger almost for people to, you know, get back to that. So I think we'll see some more events and conferences and things like that, in addition to the ones that you've mentioned, Karen. And then the other thing that I'm really thinking about a lot, and I I don't know how this will play out, but it feels like 2023 could be a year where we see some big changes in terms of the makeup of our city. Um, and all of the empty office office space that we've got downtown, the amount of office space that is sort of dark in that it's not empty and that there's somebody leasing it, but it is empty and that there's nobody working in it. Yeah. And what does that mean for all of the buildings that we've got? And, you know, we're talking about innovation spaces and things like that. It feels like both a challenge, a real challenge that downtowns across the world and in particular in North America, I think are really dealing with this potential loss of activity and all of the tax benefits that come along with that activity. But it also maybe feels like an opportunity. And maybe there's some Edmonton innovators out there who are, you know, coming up with some really interesting solutions to this problem um, or identifying some creative uses for this space. I think that could be something that we see in the year ahead. Yeah, it should be a tremendous resource, all of this built environment, but it, and it's not being tapped right now. So there, there you go, listeners. You have your your instructions. <laughs> uh, 
whatever evolves from all of those things that we've mentioned here, uh, we will cover it at taprootedmonton.ca. One thing that we can predict with certainty, unfortunately, is that this is Fiza's final episode of Bloom, at least final regular episode of Bloom. I may try to rope you in in the future. I just want to thank you so much for sharing your insight and curiosity with us for 43 episodes. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to have this platform as a way of learning uh, all of the really interesting things that are going on in our city, which I'm very passionate about. And, um, you know, it's helped me change my mind and open up my eyes to a lot of things. Uh, and nobody has uh, nobody has cut me off in the middle of an episode and, and uh, shut me down. So I think that's a big success for me. Didn't get on, <laughs> didn't get on your nerves enough, Karen, but, but maybe in the future I'll try. <laughs> Oh, never. I think we were so grateful that you were willing to take a chance on our new podcast and to bring all of your your insight and your experience to the table. It's been a pleasure listening to you every week. And uh, we're so glad that you, you helped us kick this off because I think there's a real need for more stories about innovation in Edmonton. And Bloom is just one of the ways that we can do that. And, you know, you've helped us uh, make this first season very successful. Well, thank you. And again, you know, cheers to you guys for actually taking uh, taking the risk on doing projects like this, because I think it is necessary. People do care. Um, and it's a way of creating community um, in a in a non-traditional way of thinking about what community means. And so the more we can share what's happening in our city, the more people can feel like they're involved and and can take some ownership of all the great stuff that's going on here. Excellent. Well, we will uh, keep an eye on what you're up to with Field Notes and all of your other endeavors, and we will be cheering for you all, all along the way. That's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by Taproot Edmonton with editing by Castria. Our music is by Dave on Beaker, and our cover art is by Vicki Wiersinski. Bye.